I am not your host, Andrew Bird. Uh, we're the third or fourth most mediocre Husky foot- football podcast on the internet. That puts us squarely on the Olympics podium of mediocrity and Husky football podcast. I just wanted to remind everybody we're now available on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. So you can subscribe, rate, and review. You don't have to go to the website and awkwardly listen on a web browser. But if you want to continue to do that, you can. I'll peel back the curtain briefly. We're recording early in the morning on Tuesday due to scheduling issues that are my scheduling issues. So we're with you today, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Uh, Gaby, why do you think – I get bright-eyed, but why do we for, refer to being uh, alert in the morning as bushy-tailed? Um, because rabbits are alert all the time because if they aren't, they will die and they have bushy tails is the answer that I just came up with in about four seconds. That's way more logical than what I would have come up with. That's why Gaby Lucas is the host of the podcast. Uh, how are you doing mm-hmm. this morning? Are you totally. actually bright-eyed and bushy-tailed? Um, no, which is, no, I'm not, but uh, I am existent, and this is great because I haven't written my piece for today yet, other than about four bullet points. So now I'm getting a, a good start. Sounds so great. thank you for waking me so, up. And with that, we're, we can get right into the BYU game. It looked really good. I think mm-hmm. most of most of us on the blog picked UW to win, but by a much closer margin. I think the average score projection was something like 30 to 20 or 30 to 21. And it went obviously a lot better than that. Had it pretty much pegged in terms of BYU's scoring output. But Jacob Eason was largely responsible for putting up a lot more points than that against a pretty legit defense. Uh, Gaby, what do you attribute that to? Was it BYU's lack of putting pressure on him? Was it the offensive line? Was it the kind of soft zone defense? What stood out to you the most about the offensive performance? Um, I think it was a, a combination of, of things, obviously. Um I know, I know one of our writers, I think it was Max or somebody pointed out, um, Jacob Eason's success when only being rushed, uh, by three. Um, and I, while I, you know, heard that, I was still kind of skeptical that, I mean, because those are tight, tight windows that you have to, you know, throw into, obviously. Um, and we see how that kind of thing works against Wazoo year after year after year. And granted, obviously UW has a way different offensive system. But there is a certain amount of pretty high risk um, in those kind of, you know, when you're going up against those defenses. Um, and to me, it kind of comes down to the thing, you know, when you're we talking last year about Jake Browning, um, arm strength doesn't really matter that much when it goes to the deep ball. I mean, it's nice, but really when it really comes into play as far as determining whether you're going to win this or not is in mid-range passing where you can get something in between a small window fast. Um, and I think that's kind of something that, that obviously we saw on a few of those passes that were just rifled in there at a bajillion miles an hour. Um, and I think uh, given what we had last year, and again, I, I credit Jake Browning to everything that he, that he deserves. Um, good and bad. Uh, I think last year this game probably would have ended up a lot different. Um, whether you'd have, I would actually lose, I don't know. But I mean, just being able to have that velocity is significant. <laughs> it is funny that you mentioned that. I I completely agree. Just watching the game, it some of those tight windows, like particularly, I believe it was the touchdown pass to Fuller, where it looked like. It basically yeah. missed the linebacker's hand by, I, I, it looked like it went straight through the linebacker's hand, but it, it somehow got into Fuller in an extremely small window. It kind of frightened me how, how many risks he was willing to take at times, but it paid off far more often. Interestingly, Browning had a very similar game last year against BYU. I believe he was 
22 of 25, very different teams, uh, very different circumstances. But it was kind of funny that two years in a row, uh, we've had a very easy time just picking apart this BYU defense under uh, very different circumstances. Yeah, the stat line last year for Browning was 23 for 25 for 277. Yeah. Eason, 24 for 28 for 290. So there, there was some similarity there. It's yeah. very one-sided. I suppose some of that goes back to the theme we've talked about before, that our receivers look pretty good against non-elite secondaries, and they look pretty bad mm. against elite secondaries. Did you see more of the same? Was it just that BYU, even if they're putting eight guys back, just doesn't have the type of physical athletes who can take the Aaron Fullers and Andre Bocelli's out of the passing game? Um, I think it's... I think it's less their athletes and more their zone um, works really well for if you're an offense relying on guys who are experienced and know the system like like UW's offense is tending to do. Um, I think, it, you know, it's a lot easier to understand exactly where you can be most effective on the field um, and to adjust your route accordingly. Um, versus I think if you saw their athletes go up against UW's receivers or senior receivers, in a man coverage or in anything that was a little bit more physical, I think it would have been way more effective. Um, kind of surprised that BYU didn't do a little bit more of that, but then also not really because that's kind of the antithesis of their identity. Um, so yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't think, I, I think it was a little more of this, of the systems going up against each other than um, an athlete versus athlete kind of uh, equation. Yeah, that makes sense. And they probably didn't have the chance to show off athletically too much in that zone anyway. Uh, in yeah. the running game, we similarly, the, the offensive looked pretty dominant. Again, I'd give some credit to the offensive line there as well. Uh, but Sean McGrew uh, looked great. He had 110 yards. Richard Newton continued to impress another touchdown. He had 80 yards combined. That was 190 on 34 carries, which is just outstanding output, even without Savan Ahmed, I assume. Ahmed's absence would show up more against a tougher opponent. Presumably, if he's not available against USC, it would make a bigger difference. But how impressed were you with the two running backs that we did have healthy and, and the output that they put together? Yeah, just in general so far this season, um, and it was kind of epitomized this Saturday, I've really been just impressed with that running game in general. For And you think about it in two lenses. A, that you lose Miles Gaskin and it's still functioning as a unit at all and isn't just sliding into mediocrity is pretty astounding, no matter who you have. Um, um, I know I said it last week, but I thought he was one of the players where even with the amount that we were appreciating him uh, over his career and this offseason, I thought he might still be underappreciated. Um, but then uh, also you, you consider how this team for like a good four years has always started off the season with their run game has kind of lagged a little bit behind. Um, and honestly, each I've, I've been writing about it a bit, but each one of those three, but even in, you know, even just those two on Saturday has, I mean, they've just meshed really well together as, as a, um, as a unit. And as far as their complementary uh, abilities, and I think, I think, honestly, I think, I think, I don't know if we would have, I mean, I think we would have seen Ahmed obviously would have been good against them, but I think it really was like their two running styles really meshes really well against what BYU does up front. And I remember in my defensive preview, I specifically saw a lot of stuff where I was like, Sean McGrew is really well suited to this, um, specifically out of all three, just because of. Uh, they won't give you a lot of holes, but they'll give you these really skinny little things and, and his patience and the fact that he is miniature, <laughs> um, his improved patience and vision combined with that. I was like, yeah, that's going to do really well. And it was, it was fun to see that come true because he's, he's turning into a guy who's really fun to watch, um, which is kind of gratifying to see for a dude who's been in the program for now. This is his fourth year. Yeah, it, it it is. It's fun to watch. I, I had pretty high hopes for him coming in, and he's turned into a different player than I expected him to be. I saw him more mm -hmm. as an all-purpose back. I think when you see somebody his size, he's bulked up a little, so he looks a little stronger going through the holes, but nonetheless, mm -hmm. he's he's slippery. He has good vision. Ball security has been there. Newton 
fumbled twice, which is a bit concerning, but it hasn't been a, a pattern for him. He also got in the end zone twice, so you, you kind of forgive a little bit of that. Looked good all around. I, I think that's, that pretty well covers it. We scored 45 points. Although, if you think about it, uh, 14 of those were not the offensive responsibility. There was Aaron Fuller's really nice punt return touchdown, maybe aided a little bit at the end by a uh, bit of a questionable block, and although it probably didn't make a difference in the end. And then Brandon Wellington, who has been the object of some derision this year, at least in that instance, picking up, scooping up a fumble and running it back uh, a thousand yards for a touchdown. So two, I don't know, 80 plus yard uh, non-offensive Ooh. touchdowns tend to make the score look even more lopsided than it was. Who knows what we would have got out of those drives otherwise. But so that leaves the defense. Uh, you know, that gets us back basically to that would have been 31-19, which is pretty close to what we projected. So some of Ooh. that, if it was a closer game, goes on the defense. Still looked like there were a few soft spots in the secondary. BYU did have some success downfield and drew a few pass interference penalties. Uh, looked like they were targeting Keith Taylor a fair amount. Was that a function of something Taylor needs to work on, or was it more the the game plan with BYU just kind of isolating towards a specific receiver that he happened to be guarding? I don't know. I, I honestly, I was kind of the not uh, just the the head like the you know that that um, there's this gift. Uh, of a bunch of Malamute puppies doing the head turn and they're just confused. I, that was me, um, <laughs> watching that happen. Cause I'm kind of surprised that, I mean, Keith Taylor, I, I, he's been so fun to watch the last two, two years. Um, and I'm kind of surprised that he has been kind of like an off and on kind of dude. Um, and yeah, there, there was a, that was, it's frustrating, obviously seeing those penalties, especially when a few of them, uh, we're third down, I believe. Um, I remember there's that one in the end zone though that got the ball placed on the two yard line that I was watching with my, I was getting ready for a wedding and watching with my, uh, dad. And I remember watching that and being like, that is not, come on, man. <laughs> so, you know, I yeah. think the, 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 the refs were a little bit harsh on that whole thing. Um, the other thing though that was kind of like, they must have clearly, this is obviously a different unit, but related in the penalty. Uh, uh, topic, uh, obviously the defense spent this last week's practice, practices, um, working on their get off. Like how many neutral zone, neutral zone and, uh, uh, and offsides penalties. There must have been like 30, five 40, or six thousand. or yeah. a bajillion. And every time it was like, are they, <laughs> what? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I know I kind of got it off topic there. Um, but I think the defense overall was opportunistic when it mattered. Um, but you know, if even for as much of a blowout blowout as this was, it could have been a lot closer. Um, had a couple things not happened that the defense made happen. So give him full props there. Um, and had a couple balls bounced a little bit differently. Um, granted, same thing goes for BYU with what should have been an interception that went right into Bushman's hands. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, that was really convoluted. <laughs> no, I think it's it's fair. I, with with Keith Taylor, I maybe I'm wrong about this, but it seems to me that he's either not trusting his instincts entirely or overthinking plays as they're happening because he seems like he's a, just a split second late in reacting, getting his head turned around, mm-hmm. or uh, it, that that was evident on the dropped interception. I thought because it looked like he just wasn't getting his body into position early enough. And also possibly yeah. the pass interference in the end zone. I agree it didn't look yeah. like interference to me, but they may have called it because it took him a while to get turned around to look at the ball. And even sometimes on deeper routes, it just seems like he's just hesitating a second before turning around and playing the ball. Maybe that's totally. – I just picked out a couple of, of bad instances and, and harping on him excessively because I'm comparing him to Elijah Molden, very different physical player. He's obviously – shorter and he's guarding a different yeah. type of receiver but Molden has just looked and, unstoppable defensively. Anytime the ball is yeah. near him, he's just blanketing whoever's covering him, or whoever he's covering, and doing just a fantastic job of deflecting the ball away and, and it, you know it, it's hard to think about that. Over the last few years, we've had so many great cover corners 
And Molden seems like the one who's inherited that mantle, at, at least in terms of the stickiness of his coverage, as opposed to Taylor, who is more physical and he's bigger, he's faster, but he hasn't just shut down receivers the same way that Molden has. Mm. And I, I think for what it's worth, um, obviously Molden is being asked to play a different, you know, a different kind of yeah. gig. Um, but I think, I mean, what, what we've, we've seen Keith Taylor for the last two years, I think it's a matter of time until he's putting it together consistently because, you know, this is obviously his first time being a full-time starter and, um, and he, we've seen him play really, really well in the past. Um, so I, I think it's just a matter of time. Um, you know, think about if, if Jordan Miller were playing as, were starting as a, tr- without, you know, without redshirting as a, tr- oh wait, oh my god, did he? Oh, he did. I'm lying. <laughs> just kidding. Take that back. Well, still. Uh, it's but, you know, think about. You can still do the mental gymnastics. Yeah. Yeah. This, there's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of players where, uh, you know, it takes a while. And then it takes a while to get into the groove of doing that. Um, and, and I think, I think we're going to see that from Keith Taylor sooner rather than later. Um, and, you know, there's just more growing pains is, is my hypothesis. Well, we'll have a good chance to look at that this week against USC. Uh, and before we move on, any thoughts on, on the try and targeting penalty about, about the defensive line in general? I mean, I, I, we can complain about that penalty all day. It's not going to change anything, but I don't know what he could have really done differently in that situation. Yeah. I mean, that's something where, um, and, and full disclosure, again, I was getting ready for a wedding, hashtag ban fall weddings. So I only saw that later. Um, uh, but it, when I see it, it's one of those things where he wasn't, he, he's six five. He, he's going, you know, he's going down low. He doesn't hit the helmet and, uh, you know, people move unexpectedly. So, I mean, it's one of those things where I'm not going to complain about it because, yeah, I mean, I guess technically it was. And, you know, if you're playing with good form, that should never happen. Um, you know, Peterson obviously likes to talk about the, the strike zone, quote unquote. Um, and that's just fundamentally good tackling, but obviously, you know, he's six foot five. He's ginormous. Um, sometimes it's hard to get there and people move and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of just, uh, just, just shrugging about it now. Obviously it sucks. Um, but you know, what you gonna do, kind of. It was kind of funny watching it live. The announcers, it, I think most announcers have been conditioned to only say that, only say things in the interest of player safety and protecting players most of the time because they've realized it's a bad look to talk about, uh, you know, back in my day, we rubbed some dirt on it, whatever. Uh, it, <laughs> yeah. But in this case, both of them were, were adamant that this was not a targeting penalty. And even after the review, we're arguing with the referees, but you don't hear very often on this type of penalty. Announcers pretty well toe the company line, not in a cynical way, but just that they realize that it's not worth arguing or, or making them look bad. But in this case, even they seem to disagree. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's uh, put a button on it there. We're going to hopefully have a quick break for an ad. Last week we had some problems with this. Uh, so you'll either hear an advertisement now or you'll hear a very awkward transition to, to us coming back to talk about the USC game. Hooray! And welcome back. You either just heard an ad or you just heard Davey say hooray. And either way, uh, we're ready now to talk about the USC Trojans marching on or fighting on the Husky Stadium this weekend. This has been an absolute roller coaster of a team. They played fairly poorly against San Diego State. Uh, they bounced back. They played really well. They crushed Stanford. Then they lost to BYU. The same BYU team that we just destroyed, which is just hard to reconcile. And then, uh, USC came back and pretty handily beat what was supposed to be the best team in the conference, Utah. They've been way up and down. And then adding to that roller coaster is the bizarre quarterback situation where they started the year with JT Daniels as the starter, Jack Sears as the backup. You know, Daniels, the all world recruit, five star, came in last year, played pretty well as a true freshman. And was supposed to take a leap this year. Sears transfers out. Eden Slovis, the three-star, less heralded uh, backup, gets elevated to Daniel's backup. 
Then Daniel suffers a season-ending injury. Last week, Slovis gets uh, hit very hard in the head. Couldn't stand up afterwards. Kind of scary. He's out. Matt Fink, who's an even lower-rated recruit, career backup kind of there. Jake Hayner, who's, you know, medium three-star recruit, never really expected to start, gets thrown in. And then he beats Utah. So what do we know about this team? What, what, what can we expect from this team? It seems like everything we've learned so far is just that you, you don't know what you're going to get from USC week to week. Yeah, that's kind of my thing too. And now, and when you think about it, honestly, isn't that USC's MO of the last decade? You're at least since Pete Carroll, it's, they're such a cluster and a half, but have the athletes to bail them out, but not the athletes to bail them out consistently because you can't do that if you're playing teams that are coached even kind of well. So, you know, go lose to BYU and then just then beat Utah and who even knows and blah, blah, blah. Um, I know I'm not really saying anything novel here, but um, their receivers are nuts. And so obviously that's, that helps any, um, pretty much any, any quarterback backup or otherwise being thrown into that offense, um, is in a much easier position to exceed, to succeed than at UW certainly, probably at most schools because, oh my god. <laughs> they just, I mean, you can just chuck it up there and I saw some Reddit comment that was, uh, it said, you know, Matt Fink is pretty much just playing the game 500 in, in the Coliseum, just chucking it up, and and they'll probably get it. Well, that's true. I think I said a minute ago they, they beat San Diego State as Fresno State, so I correct myself on that. But you're absolutely yeah. right. Between it's Tyler Vaughn, Amon Ray, St. Brown, and Michael Pittman are these three receivers. Pittman was the one who blew up last week, but all three of them are outstanding. They're all uh, over six feet. They can run uh you know, extremely fast, great hands. And, and I watch this game and Fink has, he loads up like he is a little kid playing 500, takes him forever to get rid of the ball. And there had to be at least six deep passes that were drastically underthrown where the receivers just did a full mm-hmm. U-turn. It was like they were running a button hook, <laughs> but they just had to turn around to run back to the ball, but they were four inches taller than anybody covering them and they just jumped up and, and, got the pass anyway so you know that's it was insane to watch but hopefully we can prepare for that I don't think Utah was ready for it I think they were expecting something different like a, a quarterback who could throw the ball where it was meant to go and they didn't get that <laughs> yeah. and it it really messed them up the other weird part about that game uh Tyler Huntley played really really well he, he scrambled he was moving the ball Utah it seemed like if you just looked at that line should have won this game. They significantly outgained USC. Uh, it was 457 to 381. USC didn't even try to run the ball. I think they finished with 30 some rush yards, 13 rush yards in the game. USC was negative one turnover. U- Utah had a lot of penalties that killed drives, and holding penalties and false starts, and they're not the kind of team that can make up that chunk yardage. So those drives turned into like long third downs they couldn't convert, or touchdowns turned into field goals. And it just came back to bite them, and they didn't have enough time at the end of the game to, to come back and beat USC. So it was a USC win, but it wasn't a pretty USC win. And I, I don't know if I'm going to give them uh, a ton of uh, bonus points for that win. Uh, and like you said, I'm scared of their receivers. Uh, I'm not too scared of the rest of the team. I'm not scared of Fink. We're still not sure if Slovis is going to play. He's going through the concussion protocol. On Tuesday, uh, we haven't heard a result of that yet. Uh, defensively, they didn't look great. They gave up 400 yards, like I said, to Utah's good, not outstanding offense. And supposedly, uh, their safety, Kufanga, who is clearly their best defensive player in the game, is likely going to miss the UW game as well. So there's, there, there are weak spots here with the USC team. Yeah, and I think a lot of it, I mean, their, their receivers freak me the F out. Um, but, you know, go back to it. Um, they're not running a lot. <laughs> That's not a secret. Um, so even, yeah. So at one point they had like negative 11 rushing yards or whatever, like well into the third quarter. Um, and yeah. So, I mean, if obviously looking at UW's defense, um, 
that is obviously the weak point, and if USC isn't going to exploit that, well, <laughs> eh, um, you know, they'll they'll be able to make up whatever they can with their receivers because they're nuts. But, um, of course, granted, now that I'm saying this, they'll probably just run it every play forever until we all die <laughs> because that's what happens. Um, uh, yeah, so it, it, they all they, they will never not scare me a little bit solely because of the fact that the caliber of athlete that USC always gets. That being said, their recruiting is absolute dog shit right now. So three years down the line, if they don't have a good coach, we'll be having a great time um, because they won't have the athletes to bail them out. Um, yeah. <laughs> this year, I, th- you know, I think if UW plays like UW can play, it shouldn't be that stressful. But uh, USC, all just they just pull stuff out when it's super inconvenient for the rest of us. Um, and, and, you know, I think it'll be interesting on defense to see, uh, Drake Jackson, uh, in the pass rush, um, because that's kind of something that, you know, USC's defense has kind of been so, uh, underwhelming the last couple of years, even given their athletes with, you know, Porter Gustin and Smith and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if they can, what, pressure they can generate on Eason. Um, I think the offensive line obviously played really great last week. Um, they also played really great against mostly a three-man rush. Um, and, and Eason, if he's, if he's, if he's clear in, especially considering that they don't have, uh, uh, Talanoa Hufunga, Talanoa Hufunga, yeah. yeah. Um, I think he should be doing pretty good. Um, you know, when, if there's decent pressure, I think it'll be interesting. And by interesting, I mean stressful, and we'll hate it. <laughs> but I still, I still, I still have faith in in UW going into this. Um, you know, I mean, we have a model on how to beat them with BYU, and UW is a better team than BYU, so we can obviously do a better version of what they did if we, you know, if you know, if we, if you play, if UW plays like they can. Yeah, that would certainly be the hope. It was. Watching that game against Utah, that defensive line, very athletic, very big and strong, very disruptive, super aggressive. So there might be opportunities yeah. there to double down on our nascent play action game and, and take advantage of that because Ethan has looked good when he's gone under center and, and used play action, even in the shotgun. But hopefully that'll mm-hmm. be a, a way to get him a little bit more time and use his mobility. And without Hufunga behind that line cleaning things up, there might be more opportunities to break some of those plays. Um, two final thoughts on USC. One, it, it's interesting, you know, you think back to the success that UW has had under uh, Peterson and also under Jimmy Lake specifically going against the air raid uh, with Mike Leach, Graham Harrell, now the USC offensive coordinator, played quarterback under Mike Leach, obviously running a very similar offense. He was brought in there to do that. He's doing it with a very different sort of receiver, but I think that's another reason to have some optimism. Also, as I was doing some research on Matt Fink, I learned that there's a more famous Matt Fink who was the keyboardist for uh, Prince, and he was also in uh, Purple Rain. And he's the guy, he's the keyboard player. If you ever watch that movie, he's always dressed up in scrubs yeah. and a surgeon's mask, uh, and he goes by Dr. Fink. So if, I mean, that's a natural nickname, right? Matt Fink, he's a doctor. Well, that settles it then. Yeah. That uh, settles it. That mean that that mean that means he's ours. He's a, yeah, we can't. You can't. He's a sleeper agent. So this is becoming a weekly feature where I I comment on random things that I've uh, jumped in with and and found on Google when I I was looking for something completely different. Uh, so I think that that is pretty much in does it for the USC preview. I I we're doing something a little different this week instead of going through the rest of the Pac-12 and our recommendations were we've recorded an interview. We've, we've distorted the space-time continuum to put this interview, even though it's already been recorded, at the end of the podcast. I think producer Rob is going to package up everything we've recorded in a time capsule and send it at slightly faster than the speed of sound back to yesterday, right before you <laughs> recorded this interview with Seattle native, USC alum, and Jimmy Kimmel, writer, Devin Field, he's not Jimmy Kimmel, but he does 
right for uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Davey, is there anything <laughs> you want to uh, tell us about this interview with Devin before we jump into it? Uh, yeah, the main thing is if you're only interested in X's and O's, um, turn this off now because you will be disappointed. Um, what we really were there to talk about, um, since, uh, as you can guess, being a late night writer doesn't give you a lot of time or energy left over to care that much about football. Um, but a lot of what we talked about, or primarily what we talked about, um, is, you know, his familiar, familiarity with USC as an institution, um, and kind of shedding some insight into their, um, both their presence in LA since the dawn, or since the, the end of Pete Carroll era, um, the introduction of, reintroduction of pro teams, kind of how that has affected, um, their, their dominance. Um, but also more, more than that, just about kind of their, works as an institution and how that kind of provides some insight into why they maybe haven't been super great the last nine years. Um, so it was really interesting. Um, and also, but again, if, if you want X's and O's, do, don't, this will not be for you. Um, but it was fun because he's a, uh, undercover spy sent from Seattle to destroy, destroy USC from within. We talk shit a little bit. Uh, it's great. The end. Sounds great. So I, I, that's going to do it for us this week, but stick around to listen to Gaby talking to Devin. It sounds like very exciting. And hopefully next week we will have that win over USC under our belt. Hello, listeners. Inserted very gracefully into this episode is a interview with a real-life USC alumnus alum. I don't know what the word is. Uh, um. <laughs> Devin Field, uh, he's a stand-up in L.A. from Seattle, or stand-up improviser, writer, uh, currently a writer on Jimmy Kimmel, or with Jimmy Kimmel. You don't write on Jimmy Kimmel, so that is a human <laughs> being. Uh, hi, Devin, thank you for joining. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I would never write on Jimmy. He would not let me uh, yeah. write I mean, on his that's body. Harassment. It's harassment, <laughs> and in this climate, we can't. Uh, not ideal. Uh, I don't know what the appropriate, do you say alumni, right? That's the word, right? I don't I'm not know. Crazy. Is alumni? But you see different plural? variations, like different times you see it written out in different, in basically in different annoying emails I've gotten from the University of Southern yeah. California over the years. Sometimes yeah. it's alumnus, alumni. Oh, Who knows? I just got a text from Rob, uh, our host, or our producer, He's in here right now, and he just texted, said alumnus. Singular, alumnus. Of course, lot, Rob. Would yeah. Know. Yes. Thank you, a Rob. A lot more authority. Uh, six Semper Tyrannus, Rob. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you love all that Latin shit. Uh, anyway. Damn it. Uh, now okay. we know. Yeah. Uh, so educated. Anyways. Um, yeah, let's get down <laughs> into it. Let's get um, into it. You, so you went to USC. What, what years were you there? Like, were you I there went, kind of the end of Pete Carroll, right? Yes, I because I went to USC uh, undergrad from 2008 to 2012, and um, so okay. Pete Carroll's last year would have been my first, right? The 2008-2009 uh, season, right? Yeah, uh, 2000. I, Did he yeah, have 2009 two, fall was his last? So you had two years with him. So I had two years with him. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. And uh, yes, that's right. So those that, those are the years I was there. All right. Uh, Did you, and who would have so, been our who would have been our quarterback at the time? See this. Let me get this uh, out there right now for your listeners. Yeah. First and foremost, is that I am not uh, an avid football fan. Uh, I enjoy the sport, uh, but I don't really make time to watch it. Uh, and I yeah. and so I just wanted that's my disclaimer up top. Spare me any. Uh, Let's skip the eye rolls and the angry tweets, uh, and you can just endure <laughs> endure my uninformed opinions for uh, for yeah. the next little while. Yeah, and also to save my back before I get a uh, hundred emails from middle aged, uh, not happy listeners who go, "Why would you interview someone who doesn't watch football?" Ugh, uh, I know Devin is here as a. They are coming. Devin is here as a. Um, sleeper agent into the mind of yes. the USC institution yes. and network. He is not here for X's and O's, and neither are you. 
That's, uh, if you thank you, thank you. Yeah, and, but and uh, and that is true because I because then I will go on to say, uh, well, first of all, to those listeners who get angry about stuff like that, relax. The entire world is made for you. Uh, and secondly, <laughs> I uh, I agree. Uh, I do consider myself a sleeper agent in this way because I never really enjoyed football culture at USC uh, much at all. Uh, and not just in a nerds versus jocks way, just in the like, oh my God, the excess here way. And, uh, I think we all know that, uh, USC's athletic programs, uh, have had, uh, all sorts of horrible, uh, things happen in the last decade. Uh, so this, this was an institution I did not love and I'm happy to dissect for, uh, fans from, uh, outside the region. Let's say. Yeah. So pretty much you're here to break them down, which is fun, that's right. and we love that's it. Right. <laughs> uh, and, because that's what it is. I'm a Trojan horse. I don't know if everyone yeah, followed what just right. happened, but yeah, that's I did some wordplay. So I sure did. I <laughs> understand it because we have both gone to college. We've both that's gone right. to college. Is that English? And yeah. no basic. I don't know. They didn't teach me how to books. read or write, so I. <laughs> they, uh, wow. Uh, yeah. Um, but yes, so I, You've done I, a great was, uh, job professionally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've really succeeded despite my illiteracy. So I guess in that way, they helped me well. <laughs> All right. Should we, uh, get, get into it then, I suppose. So people yes, don't have please. to keep listening to us talk about nothing. Um, <laughs> pretty much <laughs> since you were here, the end of Pete Carroll and then the beginning of not Pete Carroll and, you know, you're still in LA. Um, for USC alumni and fans, can you kind of gauge uh, if the fan bases or alumni network, if their vibe is kind of different now than it was, say, 10 years ago? Or do you think it's mostly still the same as far as that enthusiasm? That's a good question. I think, um, you know, and just from my limited outside, relative outsider's perspective, but I see I see it around L.A., of course. Uh, I, I'd be surprised if USC's fan base has changed significantly in the last decade just because it's such a kind of um, institution in uh, not just Los Angeles, but Southern California and beyond. Um, you know, obviously they have such a strong history that I think um, in, in that ways, uh, I'd be surprised if the fan base has changed a ton. It's an interesting fan base from my perspective in terms of it's this weird mixture of um, there's a lot, there are a lot of just uh, people in the Los Angeles area uh, who have gone there or not, who are fans. Uh, and then there are like the, the richer, uh, older, wh- whiter crowd that are like alumni or boosters or whatever, um, you know, sort of like Orange County, uh, Southern California folks is kind of the vibe I get. Um, you know, your classic SoCal bros, uh, but all grown up. Uh, and, uh, so it's an interesting kind of fan base demographically in that way. Um, and, uh, I didn't always love hanging out with the OC crowd. And, and, and I don't, I don't know that they loved hanging out with me either. So I was gonna say, at least you don't have any delusions of being like, I hate them, but they love me. Like, it seems like a healthy relationship you have. <laughs> yeah. I, yes. You know, I, cause that's one of those, I think that just comes with age and uh, maturity a little bit is being able to recognize like, Oh, like me not getting along with you doesn't mean I'm right and you're wrong. It just means we don't need to spend time together. You know, it's like it, yeah, we just exactly. we don't have anything in common. So why don't we spare ourselves both the trouble? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, do you think that that now that obviously LA has, I mean, they've always had the college teams, and then you know the last two or three, the last three years getting getting uh, San Diego and St. Louis's, or I guess. The former LA Rams, now once again the LA Rams, uh, and then also getting San Diego as a pro team. Uh, do you think that has kind of affected USC's presence in LA or overshadowed it at all? Or do you think it's still kind of running as strong as, as ever? Well, it's interesting in that, uh, like I went to, when the Seahawks were in town, I went and saw them, I guess that would have been last season, uh, I went and saw them play in the Coliseum 
which was interesting just to go see. It was the, my first um, NFL game that I'd ever been to. Uh, and it was interesting to do that back in my college stadium. Uh, it made it, uh, not quite as NFL of an experience, I guess. Uh, you know, so there's that, there was that kind of overlap, uh, of just both those teams playing in the same place. Um, but, uh, the, you know, it, it is one of these of like, how have they completely oversaturated our market with football teams in like what, three years, four years? Uh, they've just, yeah. uh, turned everything upside down. And, uh, the people who I really feel bad for are the Chargers. It's just like, well, who is going to watch the Chargers ever anymore? Uh, <laughs> it's certainly like no one in Los Angeles, at least, you know, I've never queue a million people in Los Angeles tweeting at me being like, I love the Chargers, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know why you would. Like if I were, just getting, just moving to LA and picking a football team to be interested in, it would be the Rams or USC. That makes sense. And I like that also that you say that, even though I know we're kind of veering off topic again. Sorry, listeners, whatever. Um, but I, a couple of my, three of my roommates. We're terrified of these listeners, by the way. I know. I really, I have, I have, I have PTSD from the one email every three weeks. No, uh, um, Oh yeah, so I, I lived with three Californians uh for my last two years in college and one of the one guy was from San Diego and was a Chargers fan and then they left and he's just like, Fuck the Chargers. Like he just hates <laughs> them so much now. Yeah. Um similar well, to Seattleites I mean, and yeah. For them to make the move to Los Angeles when there's already this other giant football classic football franchise there, just it, it must have felt like a huge betrayal as a fan and a pointless yeah. one. Of like, well, what are you even doing? Yeah, totally. Yeah, if you've, once you've oversaturated, saturated Los Angeles of all places with, like, you guys have millions and millions of people, too many football teams now. Like, yeah, but, well, oversaturated yeah. is the perfect word for Los Angeles. That's just across the board. Fair. That's, that's our vibe. Yeah. Your motto. Welcome to yeah. Los Angeles. Oversaturated. <laughs> Welcome to LA. We're too much. That's, that's our vibe. <laughs> I like that. Um, uh, anyways, so less on to the less on about just LA and football in general, but um, since you're somebody who's familiar with USC as an institution and their ticks and how they kind of roll as a university, can you provide any insight into how and why they've spent the last decade being at best mediocre and saved by you know being in the hotbed of recruiting? And at their worst times, just an absolute cluster of dysfunction. Is there like something that USC alumni or people around that whole area just understand intuitively that we don't get from the outside looking in about how they roll and why this has happened? This is, now I really am fully coming to terms with my role today as a sleeper agent and the reality <laughs> that it means, which is that I will have to turn my back on my alma mater. Uh, betray their confidence and, uh, sully their good name. And, uh, I'm willing to do that, uh, for many reasons. Um, uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, I had to walk past the Heisman Trophy of a murderer for four years. Uh, just the OJ Trophy still on full display in the center of their giant trophy room. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, and also as an institution, I was in the film school, which was no better. My commencement speaker was Brian Singer, uh, known sexual maniac. So, uh, uh, fuck them is my point. Um, uh, although lovely film school, great professors learned a lot, had a good time, discovered comedy, discovered myself. Okay. With that said, I think USC, the, to answer your question, I think it's just about a sense of entitlement. I think there's just kind of a, from my just anecdotal cultural perspective, um, my impression of the athletics programs, but especially kind of the football program and just the university in general is just kind of this like cocky, uh, complacency of just sort of like, Hey, welcome to the big leagues. Here we are. We're the best. We're the best. We've been the best for so long. You made it. You're on USC. You're in LA. Like you, you're on the, I mean, look at how 
look at our whole, you know, scandal with uh, how the university was treating its players uh, and, and on the football yeah. team during the Pete Carroll era in, in a lot of ways. You know, so like uh, the, there's just this culture of, um, I mean, really like you're a star in L.A. in a lot of ways. And also just like um, w- it's the exact opposite of an underdog. It's why I never really got into because I went in sort of open minded being like, well, I've watched like kind of UW football growing up, but like I'm here now, you know, I'm, I'm part of this community. Let me watch. Let me root for these guys. And, and I just didn't like the whole vibe of of the games in general, because it really just felt like, Oh, these, these are people who have not known struggle. These are people who have not known pain. Uh, at least at the time I was walking in, it felt like, Oh, these guys have been comfortably on top or at least pretty close to it for a long time. Uh, and maybe that has finally caught up to them, you know? Uh, and maybe, maybe they're reaping uh, what they sowed a little bit with, with just that general attitude. I don't know. I mean, I think they're certainly reaping something. Uh, based on the last, the last 10 years of ups and mostly downs. So with, so with, with that being your impression or experience with USC, is there anything, any way specifically that that kind of manifested itself, uh, during, during your, your time there or, yeah. Yes, uh, very much so. I, uh, I have a very like vivid memory of pretty much what was one of my, first experiences with the USC football culture on campus, which was um, I was walking around at night one night and we were playing. It was like the going into the weekend of homecoming and we were playing UW uh, for our homecoming game. Uh, and so I was walking through campus and I was walking through the quad and they were building the floats in the quad on the different, um, I guess it was frats and sororities and stuff were, uh, you know, assembling all their paper mache in the quad. So I'm walking by and I turn a blind corner into the quad and, and almost run into this float where the only display on the float is, uh, a hangman's scaffolding. Uh, and then from that, uh, is hanging a giant stuffed animal husky doll just swinging from a noose, just hanging <laughs> like frontier justice style from a noose. <laughs> uh, and I found this image incredibly offensive. Look, you got to understand, you know, I grew up on 29th Ave and 55th in the heart of Ravenna, just down the street from the Duchess Tavern, one of the great UW bars. I mean, you know, I, my parents were married on the University of Washington campus at the Burke Museum. This is, I'm, uh, I'm from Husky country. So to see a beloved and adorable, let's not forget how cute these <laughs> plush stuffed Huskies are. I think everyone knows the one I'm talking about, the one that looks like it's sitting so down cute. and it's got its tongue hanging yeah. out. This is the cutest stuffed animal you could have. <laughs> it, it, here's a giant one just hanging like from a lynching. In the middle of campus, I was like, I think this is a bit much. Uh, and I think this speaks <laughs> to these crazy white people's, uh, overall sense of what is fun <laughs> and what is not. Uh, and it sucked. Uh, and I never forgave them for it. Um, but I did continue to give them money for the next four years. Yeah, that's a, a normal. What you gonna do? <laughs> that's how you stick it to someone you don't like. You know, I'll show yeah. you by sending you more checks. Yeah, I will stick it to you by having zero authority to do anything <laughs> other than give you my life savings. That's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's enough for this um, because we don't have endless time. Um, do you have, I was going to say, do you have anything to plug uh, except for the fact that your job airs every night on ABC? Um, but other than that, yeah, any yes, like Twitter uh, or yeah. whatever. Of course, yes. Uh, please tune into ABC uh, weeknights at eleven thirty-five. <laughs> I want to say <laughs> um, uh, I should know that. Uh, but, the Jimmy, the Jimmy uh, Kimmel uh, that, marketing, the Jimmy yes. Kimmel, Kimmel you know, mar- marketing uh, budget has really he, gone downhill. 
<laughs> you know what? If you don't know where and how to find Jubin Kimmel online, I, I can't help you. But uh, more importantly, <laughs> I do have my own very exciting things to promote. I have my own podcast called First Hand, uh, which is available wherever you get your podcasts through uh, Campfire Media. It's a show hosted by myself and Greg Gallant. We're both um, improvisers at the UCB Theater in L.A., and uh, he's also a very funny television writer. And we host a, sort of a character improvised podcast um, where though this loose setup is that Greg and I are Forrest Gump types who have lived through every major event in modern history. And each episode <laughs> is us interviewing uh, other comedians in character as people who witnessed a specific historical event. So we have stuff like um, the moon landing and the fall of the Berlin wall and, and things like that. So it's a really fun showcase for, um, some of just the funniest, um, improv and sketch, uh, comedians, uh, in LA. Uh, and I hope people like it. So check that out. And you can follow me on social platforms at that Devin field, not this Devin field. Get no, it right. not it's, it's that Devin field, which is not a good handle, but it is the one I chose nine years ago or however long. At least, at least it's that Devon Field and not with each letter capitalized at the beginning, the Devon Field. Anyone who puts the in front of their Twitter handle, I'm like, you're a douchebag and I hate you. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad I could pass that test. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> you pass with flying colors as there's only one requirement and it's not being the. <laughs> Anyways, I think that's all for uh, today. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Till uh, till next till next year. <laughs> till next year. See you in one calendar year. Doodles. <laughs> Come from.